this morning I'm gonna I'm gonna, I don't know how, I'm gonna preach at least this week and next week and maybe a little longer I don't know uh, on on prayer and and I'm just calling this kingdom prayer and uh, probably you won't understand why I'm calling it kingdom prayer today but hopefully next week you will but that's just simply what I'm calling it for for most of my life or in fact for all my life I I mean I. I don't know about you, but I, I went to church before I was ever born. Uh, uh, my mother uh, went to church and, and carried me. And, uh, and so I, I've, I've never known anything other than, than, than going to church, except for a little period of time that I took a left turn and went my own direction for a while. But I've, I've always gone to church. And, and all my life, I've been taught that the Bible is true. Okay? That it's inspired, that it's God breathed, that this is this is literally the God breathed the words that are in here. He did that through His Holy Spirit. I, I, I've been taught that it's inerrant; it, it has no errors in it. Uh, I've been taught that it's infallible; that is, it's completely dependable, it's trustworthy. In other words, I've been taught that this book means what it says. Now, I accepted that as a child and as a young adult because that's what my parents taught me. I accepted it because that's what my pastors taught me and what my teachers taught me and later what my professors taught me. In other words, uh, it became a part of my belief system. Even though I kind of balanced that belief system with with kind of an, an exit door escape that although God used to do things in the Bible then he doesn't do some of those things anymore. You, know, you understand what I'm talking about? I can explain it a lot clearer if you want me to, but I'm not sure I need to. I'd been taught that the Bible was true, and yet I'd also been taught that, that God didn't act the same way. He didn't need to. And, and so what I had become is I'd kind of balanced it with a lot of theological beliefs. I, I believed it was true, okay? I didn't question it. Yet I wasn't living out the truths necessarily that I read about every time I opened my Bible. I had this theological system that was complex with a lot of excuses and that, that kind of excused God for not doing the things they used to do. In other words, I had become an unbelieving believer. Now, let me say that again. I had become an unbelieving believer. I was saved, okay? I was saved. But I really didn't believe I would tell you I did. I would, I would, I mean, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd have fought you. I mean, I'd drawn a line in the stand and the sand and, and went at it with you. But in, in, in effect, I really didn't believe it because I wasn't seeing it in my life. And I went back to school in, uh, 1988. And God had called me into, to ministry, and I went back to school, and 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 it took me a little longer than it that usually takes people because I had to work and had to take a few classes here and there. And in 1998, I was about I'd gone through uh, Bible college, and in, in 1998, I was in in seminary at Beeson Divinity School, and I was in my second year. And the God who used to but no longer did didn't cut it anymore for me. I hit one of those places in my life where I needed more than my belief system could supply. 
I had a crisis. I, 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 I just come up lacking, and, and, and I was just, you know, I was dry. And I found that what I believed didn't match what Peter believed or what John believed or what Paul believed. Intellectually, yes. I mean, I would have agreed. You know, I sat through the doctrine classes. I believe that. I believe that. I mean, I could. I had the checklist. I had, you know, I could do all that stuff. I could quote you all the verses. Intellectually, I believed it. But experientially, I hadn't experienced it. In fact, I wasn't even in the same ballpark these guys were in. I'm not sure they would have known what or who I was. And so I had a crisis. I began to do what all I needed to do. I started reading. I read everything I could get my hands on about the early church. I read about the church fathers. I read that I didn't just read about the church fathers. I read what the church fathers said. What what those first and second and third and fourth century uh, men and women of God said and what they taught and and I and I read history and I and 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 I, I took the Hebrew and the Greek that I'd been taught and I began to apply the tools that I'd been taught to Scripture and all of a sudden some of the things I've been taught didn't match up necessarily with what the Hebrew and the Greek were saying and so I just seemed to get more and more confused, and more and more desperate. But as I did it, I began to pray, and I began to ask God to show me who He was, and to reveal who He truly was. Not what this theology said, not what this person said, not what this doctor or this professor said, but who He truly was. God, are you, are you the same God that you say you are here? If you are, then I want you to be that God in my life. And I, I begin to see some discrepancies. I, be, I begin to see things that didn't match up with what I had t- been taught and what God was teaching me. And I realized that my life and my ministry up to that point had kind of been ruled by a spirit of, of religion. I was pretty qualified, religiously speaking. I had a degree from here. I just about had a degree from there. But I didn't have any experience, okay? And can I just tell you, you can have every degree on the wall that proves you know about God. But if you never had an experience with God, you don't have anything to give anybody. You have nothing to share with anybody. You can't help anybody. And, And I realized that God, I know a lot about you. I know facts and figures about you, but I'm not sure I know you. Now, I was saved, okay? I was going to heaven. I'm just not sure I'd have known anybody when I got there, okay? And I say that laughing, but I'm serious. I, 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 I was saved, but I didn't have a clue, and I didn't have any power, and I didn't understand what the presence of God was like. I was serving. Man, I was working my can off. I was doing everything I could do. I was teaching classes. I was leading this study. I was going on this mission trip. I was doing all kinds of things. But I didn't really have an intimate relationship with God. And I didn't have a clue how to get it. Except to do what I've been taught. Read my Bible more and pray more. 
Nelson, you just need to read your Bible more. You just need to pray more. Do, do. And so I was doing. And I got desperate. The more I did, the, the more confused I got. And so I began to cry out to God. And I asked God to show me who he was and to reveal the lies that I had believed and chosen to call theology. And God answered me. And during this time, I had an experience with God. And God touched me, spirit, soul, and body. Now, I'm not going to say a lot about it because it's personal, okay? But I will say this. If you get desperate with God, God will get real with you. And in that encounter, I just had an overwhelming sense of his presence. And, and, and there was an infilling of his spirit. And when it was over, there was a hunger for God that I had never known. It wasn't a hunger to know about him. It wasn't a hunger to know this date and that date and what he did here and what, what he said there. It was a hunger to know him intimately. I wanted everything God had, and I didn't want anything less. And, folks, I'm still there. I'm still just as hungry as the moment that happened in my life. I don't want what other people say God does or doesn't do. I want what the Bible says he does. And I want all of it. I want to get to heaven and, and, and God go, Nelson, you got everything there was. You know, I want, to, I want everything. It's like eating a pork chop. When that pork chop's done, I don't want anything to be left but the bone. And if I could eat it, I would, okay? You understand what I'm talking about? I wanted to experience his presence and his promises and his power that I witnessed in the pages of Scripture. And I can remember during this time, I read a passage of Scripture that just blew me away. And you've heard me quote this Scripture, uh, I won't say every Sunday, but almost every Sunday. And I'm just going to read it this morning, and, and I, I'm not going to preach about this. I'm, I'm going somewhere else, but, but this, this passage of Scripture has ruined me, okay? It's just ruined me. And I can never get away from it. Every, every, every time I open the book and every time I'm involved in ministry and every time I prepare a sermon or, or every time I talk to somebody, this verse just grabs hold of, of me. It's a promise. And I, and I believe it's a promise without limits. And, and if you really just take it for what it says, it's, it, you'll see that. But it's a promise not for just individuals. It's not a promise just for those first century apostles. It's a promise for the church. And it's a promise for each of us. Jesus said this. Okay? And when he said it, he meant it. Or he would not have said it. Jesus didn't waste words in Scripture. It's found in John chapter 14, verse 15, and, verse 12 through 15. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 
Now, there are three essential things that Jesus mentions in that verse. I'm just going to hit them really quick. It's faith, prayer, and obedience. If you'll believe me, you can do everything that I've done, even greater things. If you'll pray, I'll answer you. And if you'll obey me, I'll know you love me. I mean, that's it. They're, they're, what I call, I, I call this kind of a miracle sandwich. All right? First, faith is the belief that Jesus is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. That's, that's all faith is. You either believe that or you don't believe that. Faith's a gift God gives. So faith's one side of the bread. Obedience is the act of submitting our will to God's will and doing the things he's told us to do. It's that simple. That's the other side of the bread. Now, the meat of it is prayer. And for me, and, and, and I, I believe this to be true, prayer is simply a partnership of faith and obedience. It's, it's between us and God where we step out in faith and obey what God's told us to do. We verbalize our faith. That's what prayer is. I mean, when you ask God to work in a situation, are you really just mouthing words or do you really believe he'll work? There's a big difference. There's a big difference. You know what? God often reveals his will. And I know I I can hear some of you thinking, well, if I don't know what the will of God is, how am I supposed to pray? Well, God often reveals his will through his promises. I'm going to say that again. God often reveals his will through his promises. This book is filled with promises. Amen? Now, some of them have been fulfilled. But there are tons that have not been fulfilled. There's a verse in in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, that, that I think we miss when we read the story of the Exodus. It didn't just apply, I don't think, to the children of Israel. I think it still applies today. I think the truth, the principle that's there is still a truth. And that is that the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever. That we may observe all the words of the law. Jesus was was telling Moses, "There, there are things about me that you don't know. I haven't revealed them yet. But I have revealed a whole lot to you. And I've revealed a whole lot to your children and to their children, to your father, to your grandfathers. All those things belong to you. Folks, we have a book that's packed with promises. If you can read it, well, let me, let me back off from that because that's not true. God has revealed them whether or not we're willing to read them or not. If he's revealed them, they're ours. Amen? Okay. One or two of you believe that. That's where I'm going this morning, okay? So just hang with me a little while this morning. This book is filled, as I said, with promises. And it's filled with promises that most of us are not walking in. Amen. I mean, let's just, let's just all be honest. There, there are a lot of promises God has revealed in here that we're not walking in. Maybe our grandparents walked in them. 
Maybe we know some people back in history who walked in them. You see, when I begin to read the, the words of the church fathers, and I begin to study the first and second and third and fourth centuries of the church, I found they were doing the exact thing. Acts never ended. They continued to do the works of Jesus. They continued to carry the gospel forth. They continued to destroy the kingdom of darkness. What they were doing, though, I didn't see happening. And that's because we weren't walking in their, we're not walking in their promises. Folks, they're not secret things. God has revealed them to us, and he's revealed them to the generations before us. They're his will for us. They're his will for his people. But we've not believed, and because we've not believed, we've not seen. We've not seen or experienced them because we've not believed them, obeyed them, or prayed them. Okay. When prayer is sandwiched between faith and obedience, God moves. And he moves every time. He's waiting for a people. He's waiting for a person who will take him at his word. Just simply believe that what he said he meant. And call it forth through prayer. Listen to me. You can read it, you can study it, you can teach it, and you can preach it. But until you start to pray it, it's not going to happen. You can go to every seminar that's offered by every big name who's out there. But until we start to pray the promises of God, until we start to pray the will of God, God's not going to work. You see, all that other stuff makes us smart. But it doesn't make us prayers, prayers. And God loves people who pray. When we pray, we, we throw ourselves at the feet of God and say, God, I can't do this. Only you can do this. See, prayer is a declaration of our dependence. And when we don't pray, we're saying, God, you know what? I don't need you. I really believe this. To do the works of Jesus, we have to learn to pray like Jesus. You say, well, I can't pray like Jesus. Well, why not? Jesus just prayed the word of God. He prayed the promises. He knew what was in the book. If you can't quote it, take it with you. It doesn't offend God when you read his word back to him, when you pray his word back to him and you have to read it. There's all kind of promises in here that I can't quote, but I know where they're at. And I can pray them. And so we've got to learn to pray like Jesus did. Prayer is a, is a crucial element that's missing in a lot of churches. And the reason that they're not fulfilling their mission, they're not fulfilling their purpose is because they're not praying. Now, I'm not saying they don't pray, okay? It's just a lot of times our prayers are like this. We have a meeting. We decide what we're going to do, and then what do we do? We tack a prayer on the end of it and say, God, please bless this. We didn't ask him to help us build the plan. We didn't ask him to, to, to uh, uh, what he thought about this particular step or this particular step, but yet we want him to pay for it, and we want him to provide for it. And folks, what we've done is we've replaced the raw power of God, the raw, miraculous power of God with charismatic personalities, 
and wonderful programs and lights and mood music and all that kind of stuff. But what we really need is just to pray, is to get on our face and cry out to God. God bless me, prayers don't work when you don't invite God into the process of building the plan. Folks, God's power and His presence won't reside in a place. It won't reside in a person. It won't reside in a people who ignore His will and who ignore His promises. We have to discern the will of God. And the only way we can do that is, like I said, to learn to pray like Jesus. It's interesting. The the disciples... They walked with Jesus for three years, three and a half years. They never asked him, teach us to heal. They never asked him, teach us how to cast demons out. They never asked him, teach us how to preach. Teach us to teach like you teach. Man, when you teach and you preach, people just sit there for hours. They didn't ask that. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Why do they want Jesus to teach them to pray? Because when Jesus prayed, it came to be. Now, folks, he was a man, a human being. I know he was God. Okay, I know that. I believe that 100%. But while he was in the midst of his ministry, he did his ministry as a man walking in the power of and obedience to God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he prayed, he prayed as a man. And he used the scriptures as a man. And, and, and because he cried out, God heard him. And God answered him. And folks, he did that to give us an example of how to do things. We're supposed to pray like Jesus prayed. The disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus prayed, he got results. Now, did he have a secret formula? Did he use special words at certain times? I mean, I know people that believe that. Folks, no, he just cried out to God. He, he, he knew his secret to success is he knew the promises of God. And he knew when he prayed the promises of God, they were the will of God. And he knew that when you know the will of God and you pray the will of God, God moves. And God's looking for some people who will just pray and move in the senator's will and do what he wants to do, not God bless me plans. And so Jesus responded to his disciples by giving them a model. That model's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but really isn't the Lord's Prayer. It's just a teaching tool, okay? I'm going to read it to you, and, and we're going to come back next week, and we're going to deal with a, a couple of sentences out of it. Today, I just, I just want you to, you're all familiar with this. In fact, you can probably all quote it. Jesus said, pray this, pray in this way. In other words, here's a model for you guys to use. This prayer will contain everything you need to grab hold of God with. He said, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Folks, this prayer was not to be prayed like a magical incantation. Okay, it's it's not magic. It's a model. It's a teaching tool. How many of you, this will separate some of us and, and this will make some of us old, okay? But how many of you learned to read with Dick and Jane? This just came to me this week. See, spot, run. See, Dick, run. See, Jane, run. See, Sally, run. See, puff, run. Look, Jane. Look, Dick. It was it was repetitive, right? But we learned to read that way. Now, we don't read that way anymore, do we? I mean, I, I don't read Dick and Jane books anymore. I've read some really hard books to read, and and I've enjoyed them. But it all came from learning how to read, a pattern. I saw the word. I I understood the word. I saw the action in the character and understood it. That's what Jesus was doing with this prayer. He 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 was giving them a model that they could use. Everything that you need for prayer is there. It's balance. There's there's praise, and there's petition. There's confession. There's intercession. And Jesus' desire was for us to learn to pray. Prayer is, is, is learned. And the only way you can learn to pray is by praying. Folks, I, the, some of the most powerful prayers I've ever heard were prayed by babies, children. And some of the worst prayers I've heard by people that know better, okay? They went on and on and on and on. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm I'm fighting right now not to tell a story. I'm not telling it, okay? I'm just not going there. I'm going to honor this person, okay? You wouldn't know this person anyway. But uh, we've all heard those prayers. They just, just, oh, thou great. I mean, you've got to have a Latin dictionary to translate what the heck they're saying. And then I've heard little kids say, God, do this. My sister said, God, do this. There's a little boy that comes to this church that uh, his little brother got burned several months ago. And his mama told me the prayer he prayed. And God answered it. I answered it. The little boy hasn't, his little brother hadn't have any marks at all on him. That little boy prayed. He got hold of God. God helped my brother. That was basically it. It wasn't long and fluid and a flower. It was to the point. But you know what? They pray. And folks, until we pray, God's not going to do anything. We have to learn to pray. Now this week, I want to get, I just want to deal with two issues, okay? I want to deal with how not to pray first. Next week, I'm going to deal with with, with some ways to pray. It's not the only way to pray, but it's, it's kingdom prayer. I call these two issues... The foxhole mentality and the under siege mentality. And either one of them will rob you of the blessing God's waiting to pour out on you. I believe that prayer is a militant act of faith. Okay? It's militant. Militant, if you're wondering, comes from the word military. Okay? It means put up your dukes and let's fight. That's what prayer is. It's a, it's a militant act of faith. It's an invasion of the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness. Folks, when we pray, we're not mouthing words to God. We're making declarations and 
proclamations that we want the kingdom of darkness to be destroyed in this person's life. Now, we may pray it like this. Lord, I pray that you'd heal this person. Or, Father, you'd, you'd work in this person's marriage. Or, or God, th- this person's struggling in life. But, God, I pray you, you would come in there and your grace would be sufficient for them. We may not think about it, but, folks, those are militant invasions. Those are acts of war because the devil wants that person kept in bondage. The devil wants that person to stay sick. The devil wants that person's situation and circumstance to overwhelm them. But when we pray, we are drawing a line in the sand and saying, you know what, my God's bigger than you are. My God's bigger than this problem. But folks, what's happened is, is we've become defensive in our prayers. I want you to think about that. We have a choice. We can either take the fight to the enemy or we can allow the enemy to bring the fight to us. You can play defense or you can play offense. Okay, I played both in high school. There's a lot more glory when you score a touchdown than when you make a tackle. Now, I personally liked defense because you got to hit people. I know that bursts some of y'all's bubbles. But the helmet-to-helmet thing, where you get 15 yards now, it was okay then. I, I, I long for that stuff. But, but in prayer, prayer is not a defensive posture. It's an offensive posture. The difference between taking the fight to someone and letting them bring the fight to you is whose land we fight on and whose land gets destroyed. See, I'd much rather there be craters and destruction in the devil's kingdom than allow him to bring the fight to me. Does that, does that make sense? But now, if you want to play defense, you can. But it's, prayer's not a defensive weapon. It's, a, it's an offensive weapon. But most churches have forgotten this. The early church was very militant in its prayer life. They prayed that the kingdom of darkness would be overthrown, and then they set out to see that it was. They prayed, and then they acted. I believe that that passivity is a poison that slowly paralyzes us. And you can see passivity becoming passive creep into the church if you study church history. And and what happened is is, is that the church became passive. She became lifeless. She became unresponsive to what was going on around her. And what happened is it took her off the offensive and it put her on the defensive. And halfway across the battlefield, you know what she did? She got her spade out and dug a foxhole and crawled in it. And she began to pray, Oh, Jesus, 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 please come back and get us. Now, folks, I long for the day when the skies break open and Jesus returns. I anticipate that day. I eagerly hunger for that day. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a picture of a soldier with his hands over his head, help me, help me, help me, help me, when he's got a loaded weapon and the training to do what he needs to do, and yet he won't even look over the edge of his foxhole. There's a phrase that, and this is probably going to make some of you mad, but hey, I love you. I'm going to smile and say this. I love you before I say this. But there's a phrase I hear that I believe is the a prayer when I hear it in a prayer, it's the height of passivity, okay? It, we've been taught this. 
I'm not sure who, who first began to teach this. I don't have a clue. But, but that phrase is, if it's your will, Lord. If it's your will, Lord. Whenever I hear that, my spirit cringes. And you say, well, why, Nelson? Because Jesus never prayed that way. The disciples never prayed that way. The early church never prayed that way. Whenever I, I hear it very often when, when, when we're, we're praying for somebody that's sick or somebody that's got a situation in their life that, you know what, nobody's got an answer for. Or when somebody comes and they're in bondage. I hear this long, nice prayer that I'm all in agreement with and all of a sudden right on the end, Lord, if it's your will. Listen to me. God's made all kind of promises in here about healing. So I know God wants to heal. No, amen. Okay, that's okay. I'll give you two more chances. There's all kind of promises in this book about breaking bondage. I know God wants to break the bondage off of people. There's all kind of, of promises in this book about trusting Him in hard times and, and, and what He will do when, when the floods come and the fires come and when famine comes. There's all kind of, there's all kind of uh, promises there. So I know He wants to meet our needs. So why do we tack on if it's your will, Lord? Okay, here's where I probably make you mad. We tack it on because we don't know God's will. And we're not praying, we're just talking. See, if I don't know God's will, it's not really, I'm not really praying. Because Jesus says, whatever you ask, I will do. And what he meant, and what he's saying is, is when you know my will, and you ask my will, and you understand my promises, you pray my promises, I will act. So we either don't know God's will, or we don't believe that God will do what we're asking him to do, so we're giving him a door out so that nobody can say, well, God didn't happen. It just, God didn't do it. See, we're giving God an excuse. Now, is everybody mad? Smile at me if you're not fired up too bad, okay? Because there's a lot more. We give him a way out so we won't be disappointed when he doesn't ask, when he doesn't act, when he doesn't do what we ask him to do. Most of the reason God doesn't do what we don't want Him to do is very often we pray stupid things or we pray selfish things or we pray things that, that we really know are not His will. They're what we want to see happen in this situation. We're all, I'm guilty of it. I've, I've prayed things that I wanted to see happen. I really didn't care where God wanted to see it happen or not. I'm just being honest with you. I, I wanted to see it happen. God never, God always answers prayers. He says yes. He says no. He says wait. Not yet. But folks, we don't have to tack on if it's your will. Because that's passive prayers. Passive prayers are usually so general we wouldn't know if God answered them or not. You ever heard some of those prayers? I could give you examples, but I'm not going to. But, you know, they're so passive. They're so general. They're so, 
up in outer space that if God did answer them, well, we couldn't be sure that he answered them. Folks, God wants us to pray specific prayers so that when he answers, there's no denying who provided this, who did this, whose power it was that came in this situation. I, I learned this in Bible college. I, I, went, I was an older student, had a, had a business, and so it wasn't an issue with me. I could pay my tuition. But I had students that I went to school with that every semester it would come up to the day that your tuition is due and they just wouldn't have it. Their parents wouldn't have it. And I, I can remember a, a, a young lady, she was praying for 200, I don't remember the exact amount, but it was, it was very specific, $256.61. And for a week, that's, I, every time she prayed, she prayed that. And you know what God did? He sent a check in the mail for $251.61. She got exactly what she prayed for. And you say, well, that was just somebody being, no, that was God. God answered the prayer specifically. He didn't send $251.65. He sent $251.61. And folks, when, we're, when we pray specific, when we pray specific, when we ask God for specific things, God gives specific answers. The devil wants you to pray those kind of prayers, though. He doesn't want you to be specific. But I believe that specific prayers are kingdom prayers. And God's looking for men and women who know the promises of God and are willing to pray specific prayers. Kingdom prayers are purposeful. They have a purpose. They're not passive. I want to encourage get out of the foxhole. Okay? Throw your helmet to the side, all right? Grab your gun or your sword or whatever weapon you choose to fight with and charge the gates of hell, okay? God said that the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, would not stand. You see, when you take a, picture this in your mind. When you, when you picture two armies battling, there are no gates out on the battlefield, Amen. Gates are what you retreat behind when you know that you're, you're, the person who is coming against you is stronger. And folks, that's what the devil did when Jesus came. He retreated behind the gates of, of the grave and behind the, great, the, 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 the gates of death and hell because he knew that there was one strong. The strong man had come, the stronger man. And he was, he was pillaging the, 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 the strong man's house because he was stronger. And folks, he empowered us to do the same thing. And our job is to assail the gates. We're to lay siege to things. And we're to do it through prayer. We don't do it by getting out here in the middle of the interstate and shouting things. We don't do it by carrying signs. We do it on our knees, in our prayer closets, at prayer meetings. Folks, we, we proclaim it, we declare it. We lay siege to the gates of hell so that, that God can set captives free. When those doors open up, guess what happens? The prisoners pour out. Those who have been in bondage pour out. Folks, we call forth, and I don't encourage you, call forth the promises of God in whatever situation you face. Find a promise in this book and call it forth. 
Pray that the Holy Spirit would lead you to a promise that fits your circumstance or your situation. And begin to call it forth. And you know what? God will move. God will move. Now, that's what I call foxhole praying or prayer mentality, not prayer. Lord, if it's your will. The other one is real similar, but it's kind of the under siege mentality. And what happens is, when this happens, is we kind of retreat back into our churches, into our little holy huddles. And folks, that's what the church has done for the last 50 years. She's run the white flag up and said, hey, don't touch, don't tell. Just don't mess with us. Lord, come back. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Real similar to the other. It's, it's the, the, the under siege mentality is, is kind of this mentality. Save yourself. Don't worry about the rest of them. Folks, that's what we've done. The reason we're here is for the rest of them. That's why God has left you here. There's somebody you're supposed to impact. And when you impact that person, God will take you where he's at. You'll get there soon enough. You don't have to pray that prayer. Amen. We're all going to die. We're all going to die unless the Lord comes back. He's left us here for a reason. Folks, we're right there right now as a church in this nation. The election didn't go like most of the church wanted it to go. And so what have we done? We've shut the door. And we've kind of huddled in. Oh God, oh God, oh God, what's going to happen? The same thing that happened yesterday. You know why? Because we're not praying. If we'll start to pray, something new might happen tomorrow. God might move. Listen, God's not threatened by Democrats and Republicans that can't get together and work on anything. God's waiting for his people to cry out, and he'll speak into that situation. And it won't matter who's the president. It won't matter what the president believes or doesn't believe. Folks, we need to pray for our president, whether you like him or not. God ordains the rulers and the leaders of nations. He raises governments up and he casts governments down. And you know how he does that very often? Through the prayers of godly, righteous people. But we're under siege. My God, oh God, oh God, help us shut the doors, bolt the doors. My God, post guards on the, on the walls and shoot anybody that gets close to us. You know what happens in a siege? Food runs out, usually first. Then the water runs out. Nothing's growing, so there's famine. There's starvation. People get sick. Pestilence, disease creeps in. Folks, that's a picture of where the body of Christ is today. And you know what happens when you get hungry enough and thirsty enough? You either take your life or you eat your own, or you make a deal with the one who's laid siege to you. And folks, any three of those scenarios fits us as the body of Christ. Many churches have just committed suicide. There's a big group out there that likes to eat one another. 
Every theological debate that comes up, they go on the offensive. They're killing each other, but the devil, their enemy's outside the walls. Or they've just opened the door and said, hey, come on in. You know what happens when you open the door and say, come on in? You become a slave, a servant. And you have to serve a different master. It's called defense. Hold on. Jesus is coming. I hate it. I love football, okay? And I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to talk about teams. or not. Honestly, I'm serious. I love football. And I love to see a team take the lead. And when that team gets the lead, they continue to, to play, whether it's first team, second team, third team, they play with all their heart. But what happens very often is a team gets out far enough and they go into a defensive posture and they're just playing to win. They think they've scored enough. And what happens very often, especially today with the new offenses, is, is these, these offenses can score points quickly. And so they begin to score points very quickly and the, and the tenor of the game changes and guess what those that were on defense and had it in the bag they can't get it started back up again and they lose here's I, I, defense is good but it's not what God called us to do he called us to play offense folks he called us to play offense prayer is a it is an offensive weapon. We weren't designed to lock ourselves behind some great wall. We were designed to kick gates in. I mean, that's what Scripture says. But what we've done is we've allowed the enemy to surround us and to lay siege to us. And now he's eating our inheritance and he's drinking the wine that we're supposed to be drinking. He's enjoying the things that God has given us. And we're praying, God, help us, help us, help us, help us, help us. And God's saying, pray, move, open the gates, and do what I've given you the ability to do. Folks, we don't have to hold on to what we've got. Jesus called us to give away what we've got, and he'll give us more. The reason we don't have anything is because we're not giving away anything. We're trying to hold on to it. That's Defensive prayer. That's siege mentality. No, God calls us to go on the offensive. And, and to be on offense means you go after something. It means you score and you score and you score and you score. And you score some more. And when you get tired of scoring, you need to be on another team, okay? I don't, I don't care how many touchdowns you score. It ought to be a big deal. And God has called us as a church to play offense. He's called us to, to reach out in prayer and to take possession of the promises that God has, has already given us. Folks, we literally, when we pray, we pray, we call forth the kingdom of God into existence. We're going to talk about this next week. But part of, the, part of the model Jesus taught them to pray was, your kingdom come, your will be done. Folks, that's an invasion of heaven to earth. We're asking God to kiss earth with heaven when we pray that. It's not just some words we tack on to get to the God, give us this, give us this, give us this. We're praying, God, we want your will to come in this situation. We want what you want to be done here, right now. Kingdom prayer believes that God is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. 
It's offensive in the sense that it's winner take all. Now, I want to share two verses and I'm done. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 through 19. You know the the background of this passage. Uh, He's with his disciples. They've just come off the mount or they're, they're, they're about to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, but he's with his disciples, and uh, he asked them a question. Who, who are people saying? Who are they saying that I am? And there were all kind of answers, and then Peter says, you are, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says this. He says, upon this rock. On Peter? No, he's not talking about Peter. He's talking about that confession that you are the Christ, the Son of God. On that foundation, that Jesus is who he says he is. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, the gates of the grave, the Sheol, whatever you want to call it, shall not overpower it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I, I just The Holy Spirit just showed me something here. It says, whatever you bind. Whatever you lose. We're praying, God, do this, do this, do this, when we ought to be declaring this is bound in Jesus' name. This is loosed in Jesus' name. And one person believes me. Let me challenge you. Try it and you'll see. You'll like it. But we're not here to play defense. Gates are defensive elements. And the only person who ought to be playing defense on this planet is the devil. We're to use the keys of the kingdom to unlock the blessings of God's promises. And folks, we're to bring them from heaven to earth through our prayers, through our proclamations. And we can't do this if we're hiding in a foxhole or we're locked behind gates. We're to bind the enemy's plans, his movements, his destructive attacks through prayer. And as we bind him and bind his work, we are to loose God's peace. God's presence, God's power, God's promises. We, we don't just bind, okay? I know people that love to bind. By the way, I'm going to say this really quickly because I don't want to forget this. You can't bind the devil. I bind Satan. You can't bind Satan. Nowhere in this book does it say you can bind Satan. If you could bind Satan, nothing would go bad at all. What you can do is bind his emissaries and you can bind his plans and his work on this planet. When he steps into this realm, we have authority to bind, but we can't bind him. As I read this book, he is bound one time. That's in the book of Revelation. Michael binds him. He's put in prison for a thousand years. And during that thousand years, the kingdom of God comes. And then he's loosed, and get what happens. All hell breaks loose again. We live in the all hell breaks loose prior to the kingdom. So don't, please don't pray that prayer. I bind you. He just laughs and goes on. Bind his works. Bind specifically something. But don't try to bind him. Now, that was a caveat, okay? I'm going to lay that over here. And if you disagree with me, I'll be happy to take it up with you over here, okay? If you want to continue to pray that way, may God bless you, all right? Everybody with me? Okay. I don't know why I went there, but I just got led to. Now, the other verse is found in Matthew 11, verse 12. 
It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. It is forcibly entered. That's, that's what that means. And violent people or violent men take it by force. In other words, we have to seize it. Okay? We have to pray. It, it's not, we have the ability. The kingdom is within us. If you're a believer this morning, the kingdom of God is within you. God wants the kingdom of God to come out of you. And wherever we walk can become kingdom territory if we're willing to pray. Things will never change in our life. They'll never change in our culture. The church will never step into a purpose, folks, unless we learn to pray at a different level. The kingdom of God, folks, is within us. But it has to come out of us. It's time we stopped, started praying. Not, not, we stopped praying, Lord, if it's your will. And it's time we started praying, Lord, I know your will. I may not know all of it, but I know your will because this is what it says. And we begin to pray what it says. We begin to pray those promises. And, and, we, and we just commit ourselves, Lord, I'm not going to stop praying this until you tell me to stop praying. I'm not going to give up because I haven't seen it. You know what? I haven't seen a lot of things. But I'm still praying for them. And I'm going to continue to pray for them. I'm going to stand on the promises in faith, Lord. I'm not, I'm not going to let the devil's lies convince me to go back in the closet. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to obey you. And I'm going to pray until heaven comes to earth. In this situation or this circumstance, I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going to stop fighting. I'm going to pray because, Lord, you have shown me your will in your book. You have shown me the promise. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Folks, it's time we started to pray like that. Well, Nelson, that's kind of audacious. That's kind of bold. Scripture says we can come boldly into the Father's presence. We can come with confidence. There's a difference between arrogance and confidence. There's a difference. Confidence knows who your Father is and knows what the promises are. Arrogance is just throwing proclamations and declarations into the wind. It's trying to impress people. God's looking for some men and women who are confident and will just pray. Just pray. Okay, Wednesday night, we're going to start praying this way. We're going to spread some, some cards across the front and in the chairs with, with needs. They're going to be physical needs. We're going to pray for healing. If you don't, you don't have enough faith to pray for that, then don't get one of those cards, okay? I'm going to make them color-coded so you'll know. Stay away from that color, okay? We're going to pray for situations in people's families. We're going to pray for church needs. We're going to pray for individual needs. We're going to pray for this community. We're going to pray for the churches in this community. See, I don't want God just to come here. I want Him to visit every, all everybody. I want Him to unite the body, which is the church. I don't want Him just to have fun over at the Baptist place or the Methodist place. I want Him to, to roll into the Catholics place as well, okay? I want to see Him turn loose all over us. We're going to pray for a lot of needs. If, if you know somebody that needs to be prayed for, bring them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to learn to do it, okay? We may not do it right the first two or three times, but we're going to pray and let God show us how to do it right, whatever that means.
We're just going to pray. We're going to pray for some mission uh, missionaries that, that we've, we've been working with and some others. We're going to pray for a lot of things. You may have a burden for one particular thing. We'll come and pray for it. We're going to cry out to God. We'll see him move. Next week, I'm going to talk about praying kingdom prayers. And, and, and I'm going to talk about invasion and occupation and those kind of things. How to, how to invade and how to occupy ground and then how to take ground. And I'm, going to, I'm going to preach on that next week and we'll, we'll look at the Matthew 5 passage. Well, folks, like I said, we can teach about praying. We can read about praying. We can do all kinds of things about praying until we start praying. God's not going to move. All the information I can get on prayer won't help me if I won't pray. So we're just going to pray. You've got kids. It'd be a good place to bring them. Let them learn to pray. In fact, I may pray with them, okay? So they can teach me how to pray. I'm serious. I'm, I'm not just making a joke there. Who knows what God might do through our children. I want to ask you just close your eyes. Bow your heads for a minute. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.